0: law talk radio
1: hello this is nick augustine and i'm your host on this episode of law talk radio produced by nick augustine pr our 30-minute week guest weekly guest call-in show covers local and national news and events in legal communities as well as the experts and current trends in practice management we cover important decisions and issues that affect various practice areas so get in touch and let's tell your story Partial support for Law Talk Radio comes from our sponsor advertisers who cover our production fees by purchasing feature episodes. We encourage our friends and colleagues to co-sponsor the production of our Law Talk Radio programming. Send me an email for more information on sponsor plans and benefits at nick at nickaugustinepr.com. Don't forget that the on-demand links to all of our episodes and our host station are available on Law Talk Radio Facebook page and on our Nick Augustine PR website. Today's show is titled Virtual Paralegal Solutions for Bankruptcy Firms with Pamela Starr. Busy bankruptcy practitioners are taking in more work than they, in their present staff can handle, and with cost-smart outsourcing solutions, Star Paralegals is blazing the trail in Virtual Paralegal Marketplace. Star Paralegals declares a commitment to customer service with an extensive knowledge of bankruptcy and creditors' rights practice. Their virtual professional service model increases the value of clients' billable dollars as they work as independent contractors. Ms. Pamela J. Star, virtual paralegal extraordinaire and tenacious redhead from the great state of Texas, is the lead paralegal and owner of Star Paralegals, LLC. Pamela is a speaker, author, webinar presenter, and grad student who blogs as her alter ego, Pamela the Paralegal, and has launched Sessions with a Star, a career mitigation platform devoted to helping professionals redefine their career options in an e-based economy. Very exciting guest we have. Uh, and topics we're going to cover on today's show, we'll talk about how virtual paralegal operations add value to attorneys. We'll talk about what type of work lends itself best To a virtual work solution then we'll talk about identifying and addressing inherent risks and assuming uh, that attorneys assume with uh, virtual paralegal assistance Uh, then after a short break we'll come back and uh, spot a few of the cost-saving features and benefits of virtual paralegal operations we'll also share some stories and how parent pamela helps clients with emergency projects and sort of the the path to building um, her firm And then uh, also we'll talk about the development of relationship with clients. What are some of the initial impressions uh, working with the virtual paralegal and beyond? Before we get moving today, I want to uh, share with you a short disclaimer that this is a general information program and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Communication with attorneys on our shows does not give rise to attorney-client relationships. And if you have other questions, you should consult with an attorney in your area. Finally, all rights to this broadcast are reserved. So, Without further ado, let's say hello to our guest, Ms. Pamela Starr.
0: Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me today.
1: Pamela, thank you for uh, offering your time to be on our program here. I look forward to hearing everything that you have to tell us about how the concept of virtual paralegal work has evolved over the the years, at least since I've known you. It's been a while. Um, I think more and more people are doing this work now, and you've been there since the very beginning so let's jump right in and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, tell us how, as a virtual paralegal, your operations really add value to our attorneys.
0: Well, to clarify, I'm not really the trailblazer in virtual paralegal work. Uh, there were several who preceded me who I count as my mentors. I am one of the only virtual paralegals who provides um, Support to bankruptcy attorneys on the motion side, in addition to all of the intake and petition preparation work.
1: Um, I love it. She's not. A, she declares not to be a trailblazer. She's so kind. And have you do anyone <laughs> you want to give uh, tip your hat to? Uh, you want to give credit um, to? Uh? Actually,
0: yeah. My my mentor, the the woman in whose footsteps I follow, is Liza Sandgren, who founded Canopy Legal. Um, and she specializes in providing intellectual property um, support to uh, patent and trademark attorneys. And so uh, she pretty much took me by the hand and told me how, what, and when to do. And uh, thanks to her, I'm I'm the success I am today.
1: All right. So, and you said that your niche is uh, motion practice within bankruptcy and creditor rights.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. So a slightly different spin. Most people hear virtual bankruptcy paralegal, and they think of somebody who's going to prepare the petitions. And that is where the industry really did start out. Uh, when I came on the market in 2008, I realized that the skills I had were still needed and that a lot of bankruptcy attorneys were um, being overwhelmed by the amount of work that they faced on the other side of the table. There's a lot more to bankruptcy than just getting the bankruptcy petition filed, and a lot of things happen both for debtors and creditors once that petition is active. And I provide full paralegal services. A lot of um, virtual bankruptcy assistants really don't have full paralegal backgrounds. They they don't have training as paralegals. They They know how to do the petitions. They know how to revise the petitions and do the intake and everything else. But as you know, there is an entire law practice that happens after you file an initiating document, and that's where I come in.
1: Right. So your background is extensive and beyond that of a person you would think of who is just basically doing form work uh, and filling out forms. So knowing what the boundaries are that you work within and uh, having the the judgment and, and whatnot to prepare things that your attorney clients will be able to use I'd have to chop up and, uh, and revise. So let, let me ask you this. How? What is it like learning uh, styles of uh, each individual client? Uh, are most people pretty easygoing? Um, what's your experience been like?
0: Um, the, the beauty of what I do is that I have a chance to interview prospective clients before they hire me. So when they call me, I'm kind of vetting them at the same time. Um, so I get a sense for the way they speak, the way they do things, and I ask them to send me samples of their writing so that I'm creating pleadings that are in their voice. I've developed my, my own voice over the years, and sometimes they're fine, you know, write whatever you want, I'll revise it, others are, this is how I want it to sound, or they'll go in and they'll revise what I've written so that it looks and sounds more like what they would normally write.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Now, with um when, when when you're talking to them and you're uh, I I really like this concept of value. Um what would be and can you describe a situation where someone would go with a virtual paralegal as opposed to someone down the hall? Um what are some of the decisions that uh, you talked about with people who've hired you uh, in the past?
0: Sure. Well, my um demographic is really solo attorneys. Uh, or or attorneys working in boutique firms, the attorneys who really don't have the ability to hire somebody full-time and have them down the hall. Um, I tend to do a lot of piece work as opposed to handling a filing from beginning to end. So my clients um, will reach out for me if, oh, I don't know, I I have a couple of clients who are very, very self-sufficient but the one thing that they don't like to do is hassle with the actual electronic filing of their pleadings. So they will contact me. They will send me the pleading um, in whatever format and tell me to get it e-filed. And just as if I were a paralegal, sitting down the hall from them, I open the document. I make sure it's what they said it was because we've all made the mistake of attaching the wrong document to an email. And I make sure that if it references exhibits or attachments or anything that they're all there. I clean it up if I have to. I make sure it conforms with the local rule for whatever jurisdiction in which I'm filing. I number pages if they need to be numbered. I I, I put the whole package together. And then I'm the one who sits there and clicks through all of the various cues to get the the document filed for them. And, And that's just a huge weight off their shoulders. There's so many things that an attorney can be doing with his or her time that that don't involve clicking keys on a keyboard to make sure that the document got filed correctly.
1: Exactly, exactly. So uh, it, that, that, that's it, one of
0: the big things that I do for them.
1: I can imagine uh, a lot of times where you know just doing different, uh, using different websites. Uh, you know the the e-filing sites, Pacer. Uh, you know some of them are not the most user friendly uh, sites. And if you're not on, on them all the time, you don't know how to navigate them uh, as quickly. Uh, or it can be, you know, a lot of people say, I want to just focus on practicing law and not the uh, other things. So um, what I've found that there are a lot of people who have come from larger law firms in the last uh, maybe five years or so with uh, market shifts, People uh, have had the opportunity, whether it was something they wanted to do or not, but uh, some folks find themselves practicing in smaller boutique firms now who were in larger firms, and they're used to having a cast of uh, people to help with uh, a lot of these uh, functions. And so it's nice to know that they can have someone to take care of all that e-filing, and it doesn't have to be a full-time uh, thing. They may only have, you know, small bits here and there. So uh, it's a really good uh, opportunity I think, for everybody involved. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more, uh, Pamela, about uh, generally speaking? I know that we focused on bankruptcy and creditor rights as uh, the work that use you, but what other types of work lend itself well to virtual paralegal relationships? I'm just trying to spot uh, ideas for my other attorney friends listening to the program today.
0: Well, you know, almost anything can be done virtually th- these days. When you take the time to think about it, most of the work that you do in a traditional office is by phone or by email or online. You're not really walking down the hall to talk to your secretary or your paralegal. You're sending them an email, you're sending them an IM, you're sending them a text message. This is no different. Instead of having me down the hall or having your your virtual person down the hall, they are across the country or across the street and it's the the, the same sort of interaction. So you can apply it to all of your eye thingies and droids and devices to to connect with your virtual. And, you know, I have one client who who talks about, um, you know, having someone like me is as accessible and helpful as if my desk were just five feet from his. All he has to do is email me what he needs, and I take it off his desk, and he goes back to practicing law. Now, in terms of the areas of law, the, the... The three areas that that first came in were bankruptcy, patent and trademark, and immigration. Um, Any of the federal practices are are really geared toward working fully virtually. Um, In in, in the federal practice, you can be anywhere and still have access to uh, the ability to file and read dockets and pull down documents because they're all using the same system essentially right now. the the beauty of being a virtual assistant or a virtual paralegal, I'm not subject to the same licensing issues as my clients are. So for the most part, as long as my client is a licensed attorney in the jurisdiction in which he practices, I can provide my assistance to him. I'm still working under the auspices of an attorney. And and I, I do want to clarify that most of us, Adhere to working only under the auspices of an attorney. Very few of us are brave enough to risk working fully independently because we run the risk of practicing law without a license, and well, nobody really wants to do that. So it's, it's really anything that, that you do can be done online. And in, in fact, the one thing I, I, I saw on a listserv recently from an attorney as well, you know, I'd love to have a VA but how is he or she going to scan documents that are in my office if she is someplace else? And, and that's probably one of the, the few things that, that becomes an issue. Most of the time I'm dealing with small-ish documents that have been prepared and converted to PDF and they're sending them to me. Um, if it's a large project, if they really wanted to, they could probably send me a box of papers and I could scan them. There are companies who can do that for significantly less than than what a virtual would do. Right. But it, it, it's really anything you can do in law can be done virtually. I mean, really, when you take a step back and think about how you go through your day, what it is that you're doing as an attorney, you're sitting in front of your computer or you're sitting staring at your, your eye thingy. And reading your email and updating documents and, and working in the cloud, this is just an extension of that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the the hardest place to apply it is at state court level, um, because that still tends to be sort of a paper-based practice. So there are still things that can be done virtually, but a lot of the court, a lot of the state level courts aren't online. So you can't really do all the online filing you might want to do. But we're moving in that direction.
1: You know, Pamela, there's so many jurisdictions that are moving in that direction. You are correct. And I think as more people get used to the idea, I think we'll see more and more of that. Um, one of the things I'd like to uh, follow up on is a, a statement that you made about being sure to only work with proper attorneys' license in their jurisdiction and avoiding unauthorized practice of law. Um mm-hmm. Other than that, what are some other general, just basic 30,000-foot uh, uh, risks and things that people should look for when uh, hiring a, a virtual assistant? What are some uh, d- 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 basic things that you should just kind of watch out for, sure, if anything?
0: Sure. sure. Um, really, it's the same considerations that you would have when you're hiring somebody to work in your office. Um You're going to be concerned about confidentiality, ethics, accountability, productivity, um, potential loss of documents or work product because everybody's using the cloud, um, whatever their definition of the cloud may be. Um, So it it really isn't any different. Um, If if you're working with a virtual, you you definitely want to try to work with someone who's established. Um, maybe not established as a virtual. Um, obviously, in 2008, 2009, I didn't have my virtual credentials quite yet, but I had 20 <clears throat> many years of experience behind me at the time, and uh-huh. that worked to my advantage. So when I said that I could do stuff, I I, I wasn't just you know shooting from the hip so you 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 want to treat it as if you're interviewing someone who's going to be sitting next to you the same considerations that you would give them and and the the reality is that as service providers attorney client privilege and confidentiality are the 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 bywords if if we don't live up to the ethical responsibilities and and make sure that we're accountable and, and that we can produce the, the work that we promise to produce, we'll go out of business.
1: Right. hmm Well, it's exactly good points in in definitely getting to know the person and spending the time to take it seriously and hire uh just uh, as Pamela said, as if the person we're gonna be sitting next to or down the hall. Um, you know, I think often people will tend to think out of sight, out of mind, and get a little bit nervous about that type of a situation. So, again, it's probably something that uh, there's always growing pains. Uh, first time you hire a virtual assistant, you may find that, you know, it's not the virtual assistant, but the attorney who is uh, making it difficult to work with. And I'm sure Pamela could uh, agree or disagree on that. <laughs> but we're going to pause no real quickly. <laughs> We're just going to pause real quickly for a quick uh, a message, and then we'll be back to talk a little bit more about virtual paralegal operations. Um, to the sponsor for today's program is uh, Nick Augustine PR, and I wanted to let you know that we have new affordable outsourced marketing and publicity plans. They're available ranging from $300 to $1,400 per month, and what we do is we execute key elements of your marketing and publicity plans, including your social media administration, blog work, press release writing, internet radio podcast production, and then we wrap it up every month with a monthly newsletter to tie it up for your friends and contacts. We do practice referral marketing, and we pay monthly referral fees to the affiliates who send clients our way, so don't forget to ask how to join our Affiliate Power Partner Program. You can contact me directly at nick at nickaugustinpr.com for more information about what we can do to keep your marketing machine moving so you can focus on work. All right, back to our program. We're talking with Pamela Starr today from Starr Paralegals, LLC. And she is in Atlanta, but she works for attorneys all over the country in bankruptcy and creditor rights. And we talked a little bit about how attorneys find value in virtual paralegal situations and the benefits, some of the uh, risks inherent with working virtually. Um, But again, how much work can be done with virtual assistance to really uh, shave time, And save people billable money. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more, Pamela, about cost savings uh, of virtual paralegal operations. If you're really, if someone's looking for a cost benefit analysis, what are some of the pluses on the side of uh, virtual work?
0: We're not on salary. We only work for the work, we only get paid for the work we perform. So if you send me a project and it only takes me 20 minutes, you're only paying for 20 minutes. You're not paying for my coffee break. You're not paying for my vacation. You're not paying for my parking place. You're just paying for the time that I worked for you. So you're saving money by not having to pay any of the usual overhead that goes with having a full-time staff person. And and that's a huge cost-benefit right there. On top of that, In most jurisdictions, my fees can be passed through and upcharged to the end client, the same way that billable rates are determined within a law firm. When I left my last big law gig, I was billing out at $230 an hour. I can assure you I was not receiving $230 an hour, even with benefits. I was not receiving the full value of $230 an hour. So you can take my fee and bring it up to whatever would be a reasonable paralegal in-house fee, and that's what you bill your client. So you make money off of me. And, again, there's no overhead.
1: And you have to bill your time to review the work because you're responsible for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. How much of this is hourly? How much of this is flat or fixed fee?
0: You know, it depends on the client that I'm working with. Um, I have both hourly and flat rates, and uh, there are a lot of considerations that go into that. Um, So if I'm working with an attorney who is being paid on a flat rate, I usually adjust my rates to some sort of a flat fee arrangement there's absolutely no reason that hiring me should cost them whatever revenue they, they had anticipated from that particular case. In uh, other manners, it's uh, it's completely hourly. It depends on the type of case, the type of work involved, and it, it's the, the same considerations an attorney would give before setting a fee. Um I I would love to say that, you know, across the board my hourly rate is, and I'm not going to quote it on air right now, um, whatever it is, but there are some attorneys that wouldn't be able to afford what I consider to be the amount that I'm worth. Um, So, you know, my my goal is to be a – a a source that makes their job easier and run smoother. And if the dollar figure is going to create an issue, I would rather negotiate that and then ultimately earn their respect and trust and get a raise um, than just turn (laughs) them away and say, you know, I I can't help you.
1: You know, you're not going to pay me what I'm worth. And once they find the value, because once they see that uh, work is consistently done on time without problems, without mixed ups and snafus, um, you know, they'll find that there's a trust level there. And that's not having to worry about it is worth more than, you know, that's worth so much to so many people that they don't have to think about it. They can just they know it's going to get done. Again, they're responsible for things in the background, but um, they just they know it's going to get done on time. Uh, You know, sometimes people I've heard a lot of people say people would rather have uh, if they're getting two paintings, they'd rather have the painting that's done when it's commissioned within the time uh, versus the painting that is, uh, you know, somewhat more exquisite but took 10 years. You know? so, right, um, right. At, well, and, at and any rate.
0: Inter- interesting that you should mention, you know, snafus and mess ups. I'm not perfect. N- none of us are. And one of the things that, that I do that helps to generate that trust with between me and my clients is I own up. If if I misfile something or if I, and, and it's only happened once, thank God, miss a bar date, I own up and I eat the cost because it's not their fault that something went wrong on my end. And And, of course, right. I do everything in my power to correct it. Most of the Mm -hmm. time, as we all know, it's very easy to correct something that that was filed incorrectly. I, I know of one instance where I uploaded something and I could have sworn that the pages were all in the right order. And then when I opened up the filed version of the document, they weren't and of course being out of order they didn't make any sense and you know there's the call to the clerk of court saying um can can you make it go away pretty no really please i know you're not supposed please please just <laughs> please take it off the dock please um and then you file do- the corrective okay. docket and 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 right. the you know the the the, the the, the one that is still out there for everyone to see and, and no one thinks twice about it.
1: Right, right. And, and it's, it's fix it without a bunch of drama. The worst thing you can do is bury a problem and have someone not know about it and be surprised by it later. So it's Absolutely. again, find when you're hiring someone, find someone. It's asking a question. What do you do if you made a major mistake? How do you, what do you do? And have you done it in the past? I mean, people want to work with people they know, like, and trust. And that's part of that trust factor. We have about a Four minutes left, Pamela. Let's talk about some uh, stories, uh, if you will, about how – some more examples of how a client called in a pension an emergency and Star Paralegals got the work done. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, um, recently uh, there was a client who contacted me uh, after 5 o'clock on a Friday evening, and for religious reasons, I I normally shut down about two hours before sunset, so – I, I, I took the moment to listen to what the project was, and it was a huge, very lucrative project with an end-of-business Monday deadline, and I ran the numbers in my head. I figured out how long it would take to do um, in the best of circumstances, and it was doable um, by calling in maybe one or two other people to, to help me out. It was doable within the deadline, no problem, Um and I I sent out the contract and confirmed the, the fee that they were going to pay us and introduced them to my uh my, my, my partner in crime as it were and you know told them, you know, I, I'll be unavailable until sunset tomorrow. You'll be dealing with uh with my, my partner here, so I'm I'm leaving you in good hands. And we got that all taken care of, and then as he and I were talking, I I had this thought that I had seen an email about PACER maintenance that I'd ignored because PACER maintenance is on weekends, and I don't work on weekends generally. And I thought, you know, I need to go back and look at that. And I opened up the email, and it was system-wide PACER maintenance. They were taking the system down at 5 p.m. that evening, and (laughs) ostensibly it wouldn't be up again until Monday morning at 9 And we went into full-on panic for about 45 seconds, took a deep breath, thought about it, and went, okay, need to let the client know that, that this is going to be an issue. And we know, because both of us have been in the business for so long, that there are workarounds. Thankfully, PACER does not get shut down from a single master switch. The upgrade was actually being rolled out. They had told each jurisdiction, you will be upgrading this weekend. Tell everyone that you'll be offline. But not everyone went offline at 5 o'clock on Friday night. Not everybody was offline on Saturday. But we didn't have a list of who was doing what when, so instead of just being able to go and work our way straight down the list, we were having to pick and choose and then You know, during that time that I was offline the client decided, you know, it'd be better for us if we could have everything by the end of the day on Sunday. That way we'd have Monday to look over everything. So when I logged (laughs) I wish I you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) <laughs> um when i when i logged in on saturday night and saw 30 something emails between the client and, and and my partner i i just oh, this isn't going to be good um and so i called him up and i found out what was going on i was like okay okay so we know other people we can bring in to make this happen and he had been quite upfront with them, telling them this is why it's going so slowly. Uh, right. You know, we 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 had anticipated maybe 70 person hours for the project. Ultimately, it took us a total of 160 person hours to complete the project because we were struggling with a system that is normally our friend. Uh, oh my by, gosh! But but by staying in contact with the client and using every resource available to us, we were able you to make it, it happen.
1: Nice. That's a good story, Pamela. Like, you know, so I guess what I take from that is if I need to ref- make a referral to someone I know who will go to the ends to get it done. I'll give them your number. Uh, we're almost out of time. Tell people quickly how they can get a hold of you, Pamela.
0: Um, you can reach me at PJSTARR at Star Paralegals. That's with two R's and an S at the end, dot .com. And it's Star, just like Ringo, Bart, Bell, and Ken, um, or Star Paralegals dot com online is the website. I'm also available as PamelaTheparalegal.com, which is my blog and one of my Twitter aliases. Um, So yeah, that's how you can find me. I'm I'm everywhere. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm out there.
1: All right, excellent. Well I want to thank you for your time again for being on the show today. And I want to also thank our listeners out there for sharing our broadcast links in your social networks. Many people find our shows on their friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages, and we thank you all for your support in sharing our programming. Uh, Again, I'd like to thank our guest, Pamela Starr, for her uh, participation in today's episode, uh, produced by Law Talk Radio, by Nick Augustine PR, and with support from our local sponsors. Law Talk Radio episodes are programmed to entertain you and share the tips, tools, and news you can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Law Talk Radio, and as always, I thank you for your time.